Kendra Kruger. And I'm Joel Parker. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, August 5th, 2014. Coming up on today's show, we will hear from the BBC science team about how to make plants into real power plants by adding a little nanotechnology to boost efficiency. Then correspondent Beth Bartell will report on what keeps undergraduate scientists busy during the summer. Vacation? Who needs it? We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Scientists at the Weizmann Institute of Science have discovered a way to measure the smallest known magnet, just two electrons. When an electron spins, it creates two opposing magnetic poles. But when two electrons are brought together, scientists question whether they would act like a typical bar magnet and be attracted by their opposing poles, north to south, south to north. This is a tricky problem for scientists, because if the electrons get too close, other repulsive and attractive forces will take over. But if they get too far apart, the magnetic force becomes too weak and can be drowned out by other noises such as power lines or even the Earth's own magnetic field. The researchers at the Weizmann Institute were able to overcome these challenges by creating an electron trap, a quantum configuration of ions which is able to hold the electrons in place. Here, they use two strontium ions cooled to absolute zero and separated by only two micrometers, each holding on to its own electron, with its spin oriented in a fixed position. This also made the electrons impervious to all the other outside environmental magnetic forces. They found that the electrons do, in fact, act just like a bar magnet. Similar poles repelled each other and forced the electrons to rotate towards their attracting sides. They also measured a decrease in the magnetic interaction as a function of distance cubed, which is consistent with the current standard model of physics. Researchers hope this information will help with the development of new atomic clocks and further studies of quantum systems in noisy environments. Results were published last June in Nature. Talk about delayed gratification. Tomorrow, the Rosetta spacecraft will arrive at its final destination, Comet triumov grassiamenka after 10 years in flight. That decade since launch has included three flybys of Earth, one flyby of Mars, close passes to study two asteroids, and a two-and-a-half-year hibernation. All of that was necessary to get the spacecraft into an orbit that could match and catch up to the speeding comet. On Wednesday, August 6th, Rosetta will be about 100 kilometers from the comet and start to rendezvous with it. Rosetta will be moving at a slow walking pace of about one meter per second and will perform a series of triangular paths in front of the comet as it gets closer and closer down to about 30 kilometers by September 10th. Then Rosetta will fly a path that is more like a traditional orbit and over the next couple months as it studies and maps the comet to select an appropriate site for the small lander that will touch down on November 11th. After the landing, the main Rosetta spacecraft will continue to fly information with the comet for the next one and a half years, studying the comet as it becomes more and more active while it flies by the sun. For more information, go to rosetta.com. ESA.INT. Next Tuesday, August 12th, 
Café Scientifique will be hosting Dr. Christopher Lowry, Associate Professor from the University of Colorado Boulder. He will speak about microorganisms which live in soil, mud, and water, which have co-evolved with humans and aid in immune tolerance. Exposure to these organisms, nicknamed old friends, have seen a decline in modern times due to increased hygiene. Dr. Lowry will discuss how the absence of these microorganisms may relate to the increase in inflammatory diseases and even anxiety disorders, with some insight on how new vaccines derived from these old friends may be produced to rebalance our immune system. That will be Tuesday, August 12th at the Outlook Hotel at 6 p.m. You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Here's Kendra Kruger. Coming up next from BBC Science in Action, we hear about super plants and how synthetic particles can enhance photosynthesis. Next, we want to talk about what we're calling bionic plants. Now, plants are already amazing energy conversion devices and factories, But with some modification, they could be enhanced to perform a range of functions that are useful to us. Plants use photosynthesis to convert the free energy in sunlight into chemical energy as sugars, and in doing so, they support life on this planet. Now scientists have shown that this process of photosynthesis can be enhanced using nanoparticles that are taken up in the plant's leaves, leading the way to making clean, green fuel generators, power stations, and pollution detectors. The factory of the future could look more like a tree. Professor Michael Strano from Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the U.S. says making those modifications has been a challenge. Plants and trees, they're designed to prevent nanoparticles from getting into the small tubes that make up their water distribution systems. So the the roots of a plant are actually very picky about what they take up. So uh, it's actually very difficult to get nanoparticles to be drawn up from the root system. And also, if you just inject nanoparticles into the stem of a flower, say, or, or, or a tree, the tubes in the tree trunk actually have built-in mechanisms also to prevent particles from passing all the way through to the leaves. So actually what we came up with is a technique where we we go to the leaf it, itself. We can actually pressurize a solution of nanoparticles to the underside of the leaf, and the particles will actually infuse through the pores where water is supposed to evaporate on the leaf. The plant is able to draw water up from the soil by having water evaporate from pores in the leaf. And this evaporation actually causes a pressure gradient to actually pull water up. It's actually quite amazing. You know, trees can pump water sometimes you know, 100 feet into the air uh, with seemingly very little energy. That energy comes from the sun. It's a process called transpiration. It evaporates at the leaf and it pulls water up through the roots and through the, the vasculature of the, of the plant. So we get nanoparticles into the plant going the opposite way. So you can actually pressurize and infuse the the particles throughout the leaf. The the particles will distribute throughout the veins of the leaf. Give us the bigger picture. What's your long-term vision of how we could use plants? I mean, could I plug my phone into a plant to charge it up, for example? Well, 
we're working on something called the the hyperstable chloroplast. So the chloroplast is an organelle. It's a section of a plant cell that is responsible for photosynthesis. And it's basically just a bag of – it's a lipid envelope with proteins inside. And it has a very important function that scientists are interested in today. It, it can turn carbon dioxide and sunlight into usable fuel, sh- sugars. This is what the, the plant uses as food. And the chloroplast has been, for engineering purposes, has been essentially neglected by engineers. There's been very little work done on the chloroplast. And there are things that you, you can do with it. Could you, um, could you start to make new materials, uh, new kinds of power sources, maybe at, at a very small scale? But the, the basic idea is you'd have new kinds of, of energy sources that could start with CO2 and sunlight. So is this literally a, a green revolution? Are we going to see plants replacing factories and power stations across the world? It's too early to tell, but uh, it's surprising to the extent to which plants have been neglected as the starting point of, of technology. So essentially, there's essentially no, no existing work on this idea of nanoparticles to give plants new functions to help humans. So I, as far as we, we know, we're the absolute first, and we're interested in collaborating with, with others and, and building this field. I think at this point, we need to work out the basic engineering and scientific principles that you would use to, to install these functions into, into plants. And then longer term? We can ask the, the question, could a, um, could a tree be a cell phone tower? We already disguise cell phone towers as trees. You know, could the tree itself be a cell phone t- tower? It would. There would be some advantages there. It would be a, a self-repairing type of cell, cell cell phone tower. Could it be a street light? Could it have other functions? It's not just a matter of enhancing um, agricultural products or, or making them function better. But could you replace electronic devices or other structures that we have in our human world? Could we replace them with plants that have been engineered to do the same function or, or maybe do it better? Professor Michael Strano from MIT there. The work was published in the journal Nature Materials. And I've seen mobile phone towers disguised as fake trees. It would be amazing to see the real thing. You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU science show that makes you smarter. I'm Joel Parker. Tis the season for taking a break and rejuvenating the upcoming school year. For some, anyway. For others, it's a time to really dig in. How on Earth's Beth Bartell brings us the scoop on science internships, that is. It's summer. And although the town feels empty of students for many around here, some researchers may be feeling a sad little void this week as summer internships tie up and interns leave town for a short break before beginning their normal school years. Now, if you're a Boulder listener, you no doubt know that this town is ridiculously scientifically dense. We're ripe with acronyms. NOAA, NIST, NSIDC, Ceres, INSTAR, LASP, and SWERI, just to name a few. Three acronymed institutions run and coordinate comprehensive research internship programs that just finished on Friday of last week, ending with a bang. Colloquiums and poster sessions for the young scientists to show off their work. 
The three institutions are NCAR, the National Center for Atmospheric Research, NEON, the National Ecological Observatory Network, and UNAVCO. Okay, UNAVCO, where I work, full disclosure, is no longer an acronym, but we used to be. The internship program we run is geared towards bringing underrepresented populations into the earth sciences. The program is called RECESS. Yes, another acronym. And no, it's really not a playful break like RECESS was in elementary school. RECESS stands for Research Experiences in Solid Earth Science for Students. And this internship is intense. Picture this. You're an undergraduate, which won't be hard to picture if you actually are. You're a science major, or a math major, or an engineering major, and you'd like to know what it's like to do actual research. Get into a lab, learn some programming, do some field work, try a few new things. Maybe you're thinking about grad school, but you don't really know what it entails. You're weighing options. Maybe you'd like to be a scientist, but what does that even mean? Enter RESIS and countless other undergraduate research opportunities. Recess, like NCAR's program called SOARS and NEON's program, offers students a paid 11-week opportunity to work with a research mentor to complete a self-contained real research project. During the internship, you'll not only have this research mentor and conduct research, but there will be a few deliverables. You'll present your research at the end, both orally as a presentation and in a poster session run jointly with the other internship programs. The format for the oral and poster presentations are the same as you would, and many will, present at a major scientific meeting. And in case that sounds daunting, which it kind of is, you'll get a communications course to teach you the basics of science communication, keep you on track time-wise, and offer up peer review of your work along the way. And you'll have a communications mentor, usually a grad student, to help you along too with weekly feedback. This part kind of blows me away. I would have loved for someone to teach me scientific communication when I was studying science. And that's not all for the internship. Along with learning scientific communication, you'll learn how to market yourself in case you ever wanted to, I don't know, maybe get a job or get into grad school. Resume and CV workshops, interview practice, and tips on attending scientific meetings may all be part of what you learn. In recess, it is. Also, new this year in recess, you'll be forced to suffer through two hours of me every week, Friday afternoons no less, to learn about communication. But not about communicating to scientists. That's what you do Friday mornings. Friday afternoons, we'll talk about communicating to the public because you can broaden your impact as a scientist through getting the word out to folks outside your scientific community. All I can say here is, internships have come a long way since I was an undergrad. But don't take my word for it. Here's the 2014 recess cohort talking about their research. If you're an earth scientist, you'll geek out on this stuff. And if you're not, bear with us for the next minute and a half. This summer, I studied flash flood occurrence in semi-arid grassland environments using infiltration capacity experimentation in addition to analyzing long-term rainfall data. My project was to study the method of soil moisture collected from multi-pass satellite signals and to see if it was a viable method to study soil dry down rates. I worked on alternative regression methods for short time series in GPS. Summer I was working on producing isotope data in order to better understand the magnetism in the Rocky Mountain region. 
This summer we collected electron microprobe data on monazites from Big Thompson Canyon, northern Colorado, to test whether they were part of a 1.4 billion year old overprinting event. We worked on studying the velocity of glaciers in the Russian high Arctic using high resolution satellite imagery. This summer I worked on a project in which we aimed to establish electrical resistivity imaging as a method to further study the interactions between trees and water in the soil. We developed a new method using GPS signal to noise ratio to study the volcanic plume generated during the 2003 Super Hills volcano dome collapse. My goals for this summer were to better constrain the thermal history of the McClure Mountain Cyanite located in south central Colorado and uh, using uranium thorium helium thermochronology and to better develop potentially new thermochronometers. That was Amy Asanuma, Anne-Marie Prue, Brian Chung, Belinda Gonzalez, Diana Ratanasith, Garth Ornelas, Jackie Romero, Josh Russell, and Wesley Weisberg talking about their work this summer. What particularly impressed me this year was the number of new methods tested. Not only were their research mentors trusting them with bits of their own research, but they actually had their interns exploring new ways of doing things. Josh, for example, the one working on an eruption of Sufrir Hills volcano in the Caribbean, was building on previous work to test out a method using GPS receivers to determine the size and shape of volcanic plumes. Anne-Marie was also testing out a new way to use GPS, but to see if it's a viable way to measure the rate that soil dries out after a rain. And Wes was, in part, looking at new ways to measure the cooling history of rocks like the ones making up our Rocky Mountains. Now, not represented in that collage was Ashley Ann Aras Morales from the University of Puerto Rico, Mayaguez, who worked to categorize the landslides caused by last September's flooding along the Front Range. She was not represented because I somehow neglected to ask her to give me her one-sentence research summary. The other interns would probably say she got lucky in that. But she did share her goals for the summer, which were similar to those of her colleagues. I was hoping to get more experience in the research area, so try to determine or to have a clear idea of what I want to do for my graduate studies. Remember, these are undergrads. They've chosen their major, but they don't necessarily know what within that field they want to do, or for many of them, whether they want to go on to graduate school. Here's Belinda Gonzalez from the University of Texas at El Paso. I hope that when I came here, it, it would open my eyes to the many fields that there are in geology. And I was kind of actually lost because I didn't actually know what I would be interested in actually pursuing as a career. Belinda worked in a lab at CU to study isotopes in the volcanic rocks of the Rockies to better understand our mountain's prehistoric volcanism. While we tried to pair the interns with the research project matching their interests coming into the internship, the pairings depend greatly on what mentors are available. Here's Belinda again on her feelings at the conclusion of her work. I actually think that this summer has given me an answer to that question of being so lost. And I really, really am interested in geochemistry. So I think that from just being here this summer and, and pursuing the research, I can actually say that I would really, really be interested in working in geochemistry field, which I didn't know before. Another student, Josh, the one studying the volcano, has been coerced into continuing his work on his research over the next few weeks before his semester starts to see if they can get a publication out of it. His answer to what he got out of the summer is, well, have a listen. So at the end of the summer, I found first that I really enjoy doing research, undergrad research. Um, 
and I discovered that I do definitely want to go to graduate school and I have a better idea of what exactly I want to do in graduate school. We actually asked him after that whether he was being sincere. We swear we didn't give him a script, but he is being honest. He learned what he wants to do and sort of what he doesn't want to do. He enjoyed the summer's research, but is planning to pursue his first love, seismology. Most students, like Josh, said the summer helped them to refine their research interests. Some students already had experience with undergraduate research. In fact, five of the ten interns are returning recess participants, but others were just learning what research is all about. Here's first-year recess intern Anne-Marie Prue. I was hoping to learn how to do research and basically stuff that would help me get into graduate school. And yes, she plans to go to grad school. I'm hooked. I'm hooked on on research. As for whether others are planning to go on to grad school. I am, yes. Yes, I want to go to graduate school. I was not too um, aware of the process and it kind of, it cemented the idea in my mind. I was very unsure about it. I didn't know much about it and I didn't, I didn't know my options and with the program, I've been able to fully understand what grad school is about, the requirements, and just overall the f- common flow and pathway to take for graduate school, and I'm really thankful for that. Going to school for me is always the plan. If there's, if there's not an option in my plan that doesn't involve going to grad school, but definitely being here has helped me narrow down my choices and just network a little bit more just so I could meet people and and understand that there's many different programs and projects that I could take on in grad school. Now, I could succeed. I could do it. And in case this all sounds much too taxing a way to spend a summer vacation, I'd like to mention here that on the very last day of the internship, after projects had been wrapped up, I asked some of the interns if, given the option of staying another week, they would stick around and keep on with the research. The answer was a resounding and unanimous yes. Belinda said if she'd had even one more week in the lab, she would have been able to run some additional tests and learn even more about the history of volcanism in the Rockies. A few interns even made it sound like fun. My summer was incredible. Oh my God, the best ever of my life. I absolutely hope I can come back. The end of the summer internship season also marks a beginning. The students leave more confident in themselves, in their work, and in their goals. Thanks to everyone who participates in mentoring our next generation of scientists. And, just to put a plug in for the communication side, if we teach them right, they'll become the next generation of mentors as well. Many of them already are. I think that there is a big need for geoscientists and I don't think the whole community understands what we do and how many different divisions we have and what we do for the community and I think it's important for us to outreach and to explain because the more we explain and the more the community understands the more they'll want us to help. That was Amy Asanuma who recently graduated from the University of Idaho. Thanks to all the 10th recess cohort 2014, which includes students from universities all over the U.S. You can find links to the three internship programs mentioned here on the How on Earth website, howonearthradio.org. If you're involved in research, consider mentoring a student next summer. It takes a village to raise a scientist.
And for all those of you who have the luxury of a summer vacation, hope you're enjoying it, whether it's doing research or reading a book on the beach. Hopefully, there's time for both. This is Beth Bartel for How on Earth. And thanks to Beth for that piece on the value of mentorship. And for those of you in school, the value of mentorships. You can learn science by doing science. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced by Kendra Kruger and was engineered by Joel Parker. Additional contributions by Beth Bartell. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Le Loop. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Joel Parker. And I'm Kendra Kruger.